board the battleship retention i am scott nye i'm david bax tyler smith is still uh out of sorts uh, is a, a very yeah, euphemistic a, way of putting it yeah yeah very uh, euphemistic. yeah no he uh still on the long road to to recovery long long road we don't even know how long um which means you don't even know they don't even know how much more this is going to cost them so if you wanted to throw a few bucks into the gofundme you could find a, a pin uh or you can find a post for that pinned to the top of the homepage at battleshippretention.com um so that's uh that's what that's what you could do to make the world a better place um making the world a worse place as it has been for my entire life is smug anti-intellectualism people who are happy to show off how dumb they are sure um so i don't know uh how much you've been on i guess this is more tv twitter than film twitter i also know if i recall correctly i remember a tweet from years ago you tweeted i don't know if this is just a joke or whatever but you tweeted that the only word you had muted on twitter was succession um that is true well it's true that i've it muted it's not true that's the only word but it might have been true at the time okay um well i don't know if you saw this um jeremy strong interview and then the very stupid tweet that vulture tweeted about it no so jeremy strong was talking about his character okay Seems and, reasonable so far yeah and jeremy strong if you know he's a very serious method type actor or whatever you know uh, your judgments about that aside, that's not what this is about. Right. In talking about his character, he used the word dramaturgically, which is, in context, a completely understandable word for a professional actor right. and classically trained actor to use about his craft and his process. And then Vulture tweeted, you know, the like, let's get you to bed, grandma meme? Yeah. You know? So Vulture tweeted that, but the grandma was saying uh, dramaturgically and the woman saying, okay, let's get you to bed, Kendall. And it, <laughs> like... It's such a tiny thing of all the things in the world, the stuff that gets stuck in my craw. <laughs> I, I, I can't always explain why, but something about like a person talking seriously about art and then a, 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 an outfit that is nominally ostensibly supposed to be covering the arts sure. being like, dumb and like smug about someone taking the art seriously it i mean the i think the the sentiment would have bugged me no matter what right but the source made, made it bug me even more you know uh yeah i i hear you i i think my only hang up slash pushback is that i don't watch succession and so i've only seen jeremy strong in movies and i still don't know why everyone thinks he's so great um but you know what? That doesn't matter. Like, um, I, I, cause I think I actually kind of agree with you. I'm actually also not a fan. I didn't love yeah. him in Armageddon time. I really didn't like him. The gentleman, like in a, in a movie that already I didn't like yeah, didn't my least favorite, least favorite part of that movie. So yeah, I don't have very strong attachment to him either. Cause I also haven't watched succession, but any actor I'm, I'm all for actors taking their craft seriously. Sure. And, and I don't think people should like, I, it, it just in my head it, it gets tied into like the george w bush you know using your gut over your brain type of like anti-intellectualism that is like one of the i think the biggest problems with this country no uh, i am with you and so it, it i think 
by uh, you know by tapping into that. I know we're talking about movies and acting and and stuff like that, but but because it, I guess I felt triggered. Is the as <laughs> sure? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't the the degree of like artistic bullshit talk that I'll put up with is directly proportionate to how talented they are. And Jeremy Strong isn't talented enough to piss, <laughs> uh, to be all highfalutin. So uh, by that record, okay. I guess I'm on uh, Team Vulture or whatever. Okay. Okay. Um, well, now I'm curious if I've seen. Jer- I must have seen not Jeremy Sisto. I like him. Hey, what's Jeremy Sisto up to these days? Great question. Um, no, Jeremy Strong it. was also in Trials Chicago Seven. Didn't see. Um, it. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, he had. I mean, I was just looking at this the other day because. Uh, and people were talking about succession just reminding myself if i did like jeremy strong or not um and he's had like i guess smaller parts and other things i don't know he, he was listed being in the big short i don't remember um yeah there's a lot of stuff i don't remember here molly's game detroit yeah. i tried to do as i tried to forget as much of detroit as i could um yeah. like yeah. detroit he would have had a prominent enough role that i selma have... the judge black mass you know a lot of stuff that i've seen zero dark 30 Lincoln? <laughs> what did I remember? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. See, it doesn't make an impression. Not an interesting actor. Yeah. The messenger. He, well, he's credited as returning soldier there. Um, well, that was a long time. I mean, yeah, that yeah. would have been <laughs> nothing wrong, sure. Uh, um, all right. So I got that off my chest. Great. Um, yeah. So you and I are in disagreement here because I am okay with any actor or artist, no matter how talented or untalented they are talking about their craft seriously and highfalutinly. Uh, did you say highfalutinly? Maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, all right. Well, right now I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Uh, I use them each and every day of my life. Um, today, uh, I am only sort of uh, uh, halfway uh, uh, aware of the artist. I don't even know how to say his or their name. Sondra Lerche. S-O-N-D-R-E is the first name. L-E-R-C-H-E is the, is the second name. Sondra Lerche, I guess. Lerche, I don't know. But uh, he, I think, put out an album last year called Avatars of Love that I don't really remember much about, but he just recently put out uh, an album called avatars of the night, which is mostly like remixes and alternate versions of songs from avatar of love or live. Here's a live version. It's got like one original on there and um, it's absolutely gorgeous. I I got uh, completely lost. I had a, I had a, I, I had kind of a knock on wood. They got, I had kind of a slow day at work today, which gave me the opportunity to catch up on some other like shit that I had to do. And that other shit was kind of like tedious stuff. Like, you know, like just entering numbers and stuff like that. But listening to avatars of the night while I was doing it, like made it a weirdly like pleasant afternoon (laughs) at, at work, just listening to good music and doing some mindless work. So, um, Sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. 
This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Scott? Hello. You're going to have to remind me what the topic is. I can't seem to recall what we're talking about tonight. Watch out. Got a comedian in the house. Um, yeah. So uh, I was watching the Hal Hartley film uh, Amateur the other day, which features as a prominent plot point uh, amnesia and got me to wondering if Battleship Pretension had ever done an amnesia episode. David, as noted, couldn't remember. Uh, had no idea. Yeah. So possible he has his own bout, but um, various Googling like amnesia, battleship pretension, and memory loss, battleship pretension. He did nothing. So we went ahead yeah. and uh, plowed forward anyway. Yeah, let's get into it, shall we? Um, I was kind of, when you said it, I was like, oh, that's a trope that I associate more with television than movies. But then when I started mm-hmm. just like Googling films about amnesia, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I kept, there's a lot more yeah. than, I, than I realized. Um, yeah, I, I, I tend to associate it with with television there's like magical amnesia on buffy or there's like there is i think the first season of 24 there's like a few episodes where jack's wife has amnesia but just like the the premise of 24 sounds interesting and they did a lot of interesting things with it but it also like there are parts like after the season where it's like oh i guess we gotta fill an hour here yeah um and yeah and so i think in the first season jack's wife had amnesia for a few episodes anyway um so yeah i uh, uh I found uh, a lot just by just by Googling a lot that I'd seen a lot that I haven't seen and would like to to talk about. Uh, But obviously, the first place everyone's mind always goes when you mention movies about amnesia. I thought of Overboard, the movie Overboard. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I haven't seen it. Neither version. um, I mean, I actually have seen both versions. Um, The. The the older version is like uh, it's it's a real friction between like Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn at the height of their powers. Plus, you've got uh, Mike Haggerty, uh, may he rest in peace. Edward Herman, who I think also may he rest in peace. Um, uh, what what is his name? Um, Roddy McDowell is is you get this great cast with this great chemistry, but the premise is still so stupid <laughs> to the point of being like criminal, you know, that I like can never quite, I can never quite suspend my disbelief all the way to being like, this man is committing some form of rape, right? Like he's told this woman who hates him in real life <laughs> that she is the wife and mother of his kids and moves her into his house and makes her raise his kids and have sex with him. This is like the yeah. The, this guy would go away for for a decade so <laughs> to, I, to throw away the key. Sorry, did you say you'd seen the remake? 
Yes, and I have seen the remake, which gender swaps it, which right. like I think changes some of the optics a little bit, but it's still not like ideal. Yeah, and then I mean, um, the remake also has a has a decent cast. You've got you've got Anna Ferris in the Kurt Russell role, and Eugenio Derbez in the Goldie Hawn role, and then I guess you've kind of got. Um, Oh my God. What's his name? Mel Rodriguez from the last man on earth. And so I don't know if you know Mel Rodriguez. He's very much. Oh, a TV yeah. guy. Uh, I, I yeah. watched the, well, I watched the first two at least seasons of last man on earth. Yeah. So he's the, like the Mike Haggerty role, um, like the best friend, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So that, that one's interesting because of the gender swap still, you, still, you've got a lot of star chemistry. Um, you also like, they were clearly making it with, um, a modern audience in mind because a huge portion of that movie is in Spanish with subtitles. Oh, interesting. Um, cause his character, Eugenio de Bez is Mexican in real life and his character is Mexican and he's like a rich guy, but he ends up working as like working construction with Mel Rodriguez. And mm-hmm. it's like all these, uh, so all the scenes that are like him at work are just him and all these like Latinos ta- speaking in Spanish the entire time. That's cool. Um, in- interesting movie, but, uh, I'm trying to remember who directed the remake. Oh, I couldn't have been anyone of note, could it? No. Rob Greenberg is his name. Um, and I don't even know who directed the 80s one. I was going to oh, say. Oh, Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall. Oh, interesting. I mean, who's like very charming. He was never the best director, though. No, but, you know, he, he, has, he makes it look easy, which, uh, you know, goes a long way sometimes. Yeah. So anyway, we exhausted overboard. What else are we possibly going to talk about? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, certainly the obvious touch point is Memento, which I think I talked about on a semi-recent movie journal because Julia and I recently revisited it at uh, Brain Dead Studios. But that would have been on the Patreon, so you have to go to patreon.com. So I'm going to stop Patreon. talking about it right now. Com no, um, pretension. no, I'm uh, just, not any chance to plug the sure. Patreon. Throw a few bucks our way. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, obviously, the big kind of trick it does to get us in... Uh, Leonard's head for the memory loss is like the reverse chronological thing, which like if you think about it, wouldn't actually get you in his head, but it kind of works. You know, you start each scene not really knowing where you are or what mm-hmm. you're doing, um, which is always interesting. And um, it also there's a slight surreality to it that I kind of forgotten about because Christopher Nolan gets tagged a lot as being very very literal filmmaker and like not given, you know, I mean, that's what I think around Battleship Pretension Accords we kind of dislike about Inception is that it's like a little mm-hmm. too uh, on the nose about what it's doing. But there's a slight edge to the way it's, uh, that Memento's made. And some of it is like this stylistic device that he used in at least this and Insomnia and a little bit Batman Begins. I can't remember if it's in following where like you'll get like a very quick glimpse of like some other scene, but it won't be like a shock thing or like a loud noise. It's just like kind of flittering away in the back of his head. And so the film's overall treatment of memory is this kind of like hazy patchwork thing. Um, I think is just as interesting as it's more overt kind of stylistic mm-hmm. uh, lens. Yeah. The big thing I kind of noticed going through these, well, I was talking about this about just about the topic in general with Julian. She's like, yeah, it's so often used as kind of like a dumb trope. And I was like, I think I just like the trope. I know it's like such an easy out, but yeah. going through a lot of these movies and a lot of them are like really at my alley in just a very base way. Um, I'm trying to think of like the most overtly well, the so the the 
the thing with Memento that I wasn't sure, it was certainly it was one of the first ones I thought of, but like yeah. how like clinical are we being about the definition of amnesia? Like is what sure. he has amnesia or it's cause like, I feel like the trope of amnesia often a big part of the story, be it movies or TV is the part when they get their memory back. Right. But, Oh, sure. But with Leonard, right. There's his name Leonard. Yeah. Or with, or with Drew Barrymore's character in 51st dates, like that's never going to happen. This is a condition that is going to be with them the rest of their lives. So does that, obviously we're having fun and we're talking about movies of memory loss, but in terms of using amnesia as a screenwriting trope, Memento and 51st dates don't really fit that bill because they, that's true. they don't offer that like moment when everything clicks again. Yeah, that's true. I wasn't necessarily like using that as a, I guess I was just using it as a launching pad for the wider episode than saying like, yeah. um, Memento specifically does that. Um, I think the other fun thing you get in memory loss or amnesia movies is when it starts to come back to them. Or like there's some mm-hmm. reflexive thing that they do. I mean, I think this is what like the Bourne movies do really well, especially the first one is that um, he'll just like be constantly discovering skills that he has. Um, yeah. And the Bourne series also has a great payoff with what he gets the memory back because it's like completely counter to what you think for three movies you're doing. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. I, I got to rewatch those movies. I haven't seen them in a while, but man, they're good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bourne is 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 great. And um uh, I think it really plays with the interesting like idea about amnesia that there are different kinds of memories because he doesn't, he's not completely at a loss when he comes, when he gets fished out of the water, he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his name and his backstory, but he still has all those skills. Yeah. That's what um, I mean. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, uh, today watched, have you seen the long kiss goodnight? Yes, it's been a while, been a while, but yeah, yeah, because that does the same thing. Where so Gina Davis plays um, just like small town school teacher um, with a family, thinks she's just like got the nice suburban life, and then gets into a car accident. I, that's another trope I like is when they get hit on the head again, reawakens the memory. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's a medical you know basis for that, but it seems really convenient. Um, and then so after she uh, gets in this car accident, she starts. Uh, suddenly like chopping things really fast and knowing how to fight people and stuff. Um, and she's like gradually discovering um, that she's a world-class assassin and it has all these great things where like soon after the accident, it goes into this like total dream state where like her real self is like haunting her and trying to like stab her in her dreams. Um, yeah. And Gina Davis is so good in the movie. I mean, she plays like both ends of the character really well of the kind of sweet school teacher and then like hardcore cruel assassin but she also plays the in-between stuff really well and like the part where she first starts discovering she has knife skills is just like in the kitchen making dinner and she's like i'm good at this maybe i'm a chef and she's like yes. so excited that's um, yeah that's one of the parts that i remember well yeah. it's especially memorable because throughout then throughout the movie anytime she does something like violent she's like chefs do that <laughs> um yeah uh and, well the um oh, yeah. you reminded me the um the trope of the person getting hit on the head the first time you're getting an yeah. and getting hit again and coming back uh, is present in one of my uh, personal favorite movies of all time, uh, Desperately Seeking Susan. Right. Where, okay. Yes. Uh, I was trying yeah, to remember because so this came up on a list that I found of Amnesia movie. And I was just trying to remember the specifics of the Amnesia. So Rosanna Arquette is a, a bored, like, frustrated housewife 
in the suburbs who is obsessed with these there's this bohemian person named susan who leaves these like mm-hmm. she and her like lover whose name i forget like leave these little like one ads whatever they're called like misconnections or classified ads for each other you know and she's like reads it like it's a soap opera she's watching but she's really just dreaming about having a fun city bohemian life and leaving her like boring ass husband behind so she eventually like goes to where one of the things is and like starts spying on susan she's following and susan is uh madonna yeah she's following susan around and then like susan leaves i, I can't remember susan leaves her jacket somewhere and then Pritchard, Pritchard, or not Pritchard, uh, Rosanna Raquette like picks up the jacket and she might even like, does she buy a wig? Like basically she's trying to look like Susan and she's trying so hard to look like Susan that she actually con- convinces someone and it turns out Susan's like in trouble. So she gets like attacked by someone that Susan owes money to or something. And she yeah spends a good portion of the money, like money of the movie, like because she wakes up and she like goes through her pockets and she's like, oh, I guess this is who I am. Um, and then, yeah, at a certain point she gets hit on the head again and it all, <laughs> it all comes, comes back. back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, um, uh, I've, the podcast listeners are probably sick of hearing me say how much I love desperately seeking Susan, but they're turning it off right I, now. I really do. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't remember how I'm trying to see if there's actually anything else I should touch on. Well, actually speaking of like pick, pick up special skills again, um, the recent, the Matrix Resurrections is an amnesia movie. Oh, it sure is. Neo yeah. forgets that he's Neo and he's just like this software developer. Man, it's like a movie. Um, <laughs> and then slowly gets re reawakened to, uh, what the Matrix really is. Um, and who he really is within it. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I gotta watch You that liked again. that one, right? I really liked it. Yeah. 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 I gotta watch that again. Um, I was, I was convinced when I went to like look up the list and maybe it just has to do with what I've seen and what I haven't seen. I was certain I would find more like classic Hollywood screwball comedies that used amnesia. There must be, but I must just have not seen them. Yeah. Um, and some of it too, like, cause I was looking at like IMDb keyword tags and a lot of older movies aren't as specifically tagged a lot of the time. Oh, right. Like it's tricky. Somebody did send me a list of, that was on letterboxd of old movies that have amnesia as a plot line and i hadn't seen most of them and now i'm like i really want to see these because i yeah i am discovering i have a weird interest in memory loss movies i was more finding them around like film noir kind of stuff um so uh there's an amazing amazing movie that i will sing the praise of every chance i get it's like one of the top two noirs i've ever seen called the chase um with uh oh shit who's that guy it's not uh, robert cummings um and he is just kind of like down and out um not quite a bum but clearly quite poor um randomly gets a job at the, with his rich gangster driving his car and running errands for him and stuff and then falls in love with the gangster's wife and it does a switch midway through that i can only liken to another memory loss movie Mahon drive where like suddenly the entire thing gets upended and it goes this whole like surreal zone and that's where like his memory loss starts to kick in um but we already know everything that happened before but he starts like repeating the same scenes again um but not remembering the context for them and it has this whole very like ptsd vibe to it um very post-war that and shot like very surreal style and yeah i can't imagine that it wasn't an influence on david lynch maybe not specifically for mohan drive but the entire like structure and style of it is 
one of the few lynching gets run a lot, but this is one of the few movies I'd really describe as Lynchian. Uh, yeah, maybe you, um, I'm hoping you've seen this one more recently than I have, because it's been over 20 years, but Mr. Arcaden came up on a list and I know I've seen that. Um, yeah, I mean the basic, I can't remember, yeah, the basic premise is that Mr. Arcaden hires whoever the main guy is to go figure out who he is because right. he doesn't okay. remember anything before, I think in like 1920 or something like that. Um, and so, you know, insofar as I can follow Mr. Arcaden from there, um, it's roughly about um, his uh, past getting discovered and having, you know, all kinds of shady details and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's really, the style of it, of course, very, was this the Wellesley and Tom's Foolery one? Or was that uh, uh, F or fake? No, I think this was Wellesley and Tom, Tom Foolery is how... Was that uh, Leonard Malton, I think, uh, described? Yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, because of all the Wellesian tomfoolery, it just has a general air of um, like deeping, digging into someone's messy, broken psyche. And like because of like stylistic stuff like that, I kept like thinking all these other kind of movies were memory loss movies. Like, um, well, in the Wells vein, Lady from Shanghai isn't a memory loss movie, but because it has the same kind of like very like hyper. Um, jagged style to it it still feels like that kind of like investigating broken psyche kind of vibe yeah it's there's also a certain level of memory loss of like trying to figure out what you just watched when you see the lady from shanghai i love that movie but like i saw it i only saw it within the last like 10 years for the first time natalie and i went Hmm. to see it in in a in a theater in mexico by the way um very cool and uh yeah we were like this isn't normally who I am. Like if I normally, if I don't understand a plot, I'm like, eh, well, I, I must've yeah. missed something, but we did like, we went out, like we were just like walking the streets of Merida, like trying to figure out like what happened in the lady from Shanghai. Uh, good movie though. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me see what other films noir I got on here. Oh, there's a really cool Douglas Sirk movie. Um, before he like started having, you know, the, the Douglas Sirk brand as it were, um, called Sleep My Love. Um, and it's about, mm. if I recall correctly, um, Claudette Colbert getting like hypnotized into forgetting her certain elements of her life. Okay. Um, and uh, so it has that same kind of very dreamlike thing. I think at the very beginning of the movie, she like wakes up on a train and doesn't know how she got there. Um, and that leads to all kinds of, you know, noirish plotting and stuff. Um, yeah. Douglas Sirk made some really cool noirs before he started doing melodrama, which sounds like he was ruined by melodramas. Of course, those are still my favorite of his movies, but uh, <laughs> yeah. underrated earlier career for sure. Um, um, let's see what else for the noirs. Oh, Hangover Square. Um, it's kind of an underseen British set okay. noir. I saw that the Arrow years ago. I'm trying to remember how the memory loss. Oh yeah. Um, it's about a guy who, uh, wakes up um and has like a whole day missing from his life um doesn't have any memory of it but there's a lot that points to the fact or the idea that he might have killed somebody and so he's kind of like i mean maybe i did but i don't think i would kill somebody and so it's you know showdown between he and various other forces at scotland yard to uh try to deduce the truth um that reminds me of a movie that is not, I don't, I wouldn't call it a, uh, I'm trying to find it. I wouldn't call it a 
amnesia movie, but I think it's called Nightmare from it's like from the fifties, and it's got um, who is in it? It might be Kevin McCarthy, not the not the Speaker of the House. Uh, yeah, Kevin McCarthy and Reggie Robinson. Um, where yeah, Kevin McCarthy um, dreams that he killed somebody, and then mm. starts to starts to wonder like was that a dream did i really kill somebody or uh yeah it's a pretty cool movie and they um takes place in new orleans and they actually shot like exteriors in in new orleans which is pretty cool nice uh i have one that's um a spoiler that's a memory loss movie because uh it doesn't come about until the very end of the movie but it's from 1946 um so Tough shit, I guess. Um, it's called yeah. So Dark the Night. Um, and it's about a detective on the search for a murderer. The twist at the end is that he was the murderer. And um, he finds himself. And so it's this huge, like, shock to the system kind of thing. But it's really, really cool movie. Um, and, like, all these kind of movies. 70 minutes long, so really easy to take in. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, all right. I, don't, I, I, I didn't think to... Um categorize them like you did by genre which is which is smart i just oh i didn't either i'm just scanning my list as fast as i can and hoping that i'm catching them um so uh i thought of this so i thought of when you were mentioning born the born movies yeah i thought about the winter soldier oh sure you know which then looking that up made me remember that amnesia is also a big part of captain marvel so Marvel has done the MCU has done two amnesia movies, I guess. Was it um, what part of it was in Captain Marvel? Here I'm forgetting. That's I mean, the, the entire movie. thing. When she like comes to Earth, she doesn't know who she is. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Convenient uh, way to dish out exposition in Marvel's case, yeah. I'd say. I'm um I'm a bigger to maybe even much bigger fan of the Winter Soldiers than you are, but I don't think either of us liked Captain Marvel. No, I, I greatly dislike both movies. <laughs> Um, a slight edge for Captain Marvel, but only only slight. Really? See, I just like, especially since we talk when we talk once again more MCU bashing on this show. But so much of what we talk about, um, about what we what we don't like about the MCU movies these MCU movies these days is how clearly everything is just like green screened and previsd to death, yeah. you know. And I like that Winter Soldier, especially because I didn't see Winter Soldier at the time. I didn't see it till later until that complaint was already starting to, <laughs> to, to, to set in. So Winter Soldier felt weirdly refreshing to me that so much of it is like out in the world. There are car crashes and foot chases and like it, it, it feels like more of a pure action movie than so many of the like, you know, just CGI weightless globs slamming into each other type of type of thing. So maybe because I saw Captain I saw Winter Soldier like after I had started to sour on the MCU, maybe that's why I liked it more. Yeah, I mean, but it doesn't help that it's real boring. Like I think I just think all the action in it is crazy boring. I mean the elevator fight's pretty cool, but the fact that everybody kept like falling over themselves for the Samuel L. Jackson beat in which he's just sitting down the entire time. I don't know. Pretty, <laughs> pretty thin soup. Um, well, speaking of super soldiers, um, I didn't think about it until I Googled it, but RoboCop is definitely an amnesia movie, you oh, know? Yeah. 
Murphy doesn't know who he is. And it's especially the thing you were talking about earlier of like having flashes, like, you know, getting flashes back to his like wife and wife and son, like greeting him when he gets home from work and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then flashes of his death. Or I guess, I guess Murphy never fully died, but his um, torture at the hands of Clarence Boddicker and his, and his gang. Yeah. Uh, it's been a, which those I of us seen I, that since college, but I'm, I, I often like to like to call out the instances in which the like four year age difference between us actually matters. Sure. And I wonder like if by the time you came to RoboCop had the director's cut already settled as the like default version, or were you like me very, very familiar with the theatrical cut and then saw the director's cut and saw Murphy's death or whatever it is. And like, I was like shocked by it. Yeah. Very violent. Um, again, I, I have such a vague, hazy memory of it because, and I certainly don't know if I watched the director's cut or not because I saw it in a college class and I'm mm. not sure like what disc they had on hand. Um, I mean, yeah. I remember a lot of things being very violent. So, yeah. Well, yeah. The one thing I remember, cause, um, when they, when they're like torturing and shooting Murphy, Peter Weller, there's a part where, he gets his hand shotgunned off and his hand like skitters across the floor, like his nice. severed hand. Um, I don't remember that being in the theatrical cut. That was, I think a, a director's cut thing. All right. Uh, speaking of Verhoeven though, I didn't think that he did the memory loss thing twice, but it, like total recall is kind of that. It oh, yeah. has the like yeah. unlocking the secret hidden assassin within thing, but also like the entire thing could be a dream. So um, yeah, because it has the whole Phil K Dick angle on top of that. Um, but I, I always, I mean, the movie's great on a number of levels, but layering all that onto someone like Schwarzenegger is, uh, I think pretty keen bit of filmmaking. Cause usually you'd have that played by a less confident seeming actor, but, uh, right. yeah. Schwarzenegger in the nineties was really, really down to play with his image. Um, I think I, I always think it true with like true lies. The fact that he's like, this like kind of like nebbish jealous husband it's like colonel schwarzenegger guy yeah <laughs> there's such a great incongruity to it well so, uh um full disclosure i've never seen true lies it's like the one camera oh my God. i've never seen but my understanding it's a remake right yeah of a french film okay so yeah i'm remembering correctly i remember yeah, probably 12 more years ago more than 10 years ago i went to see um aliens on 70 millimeter at the arrow with a q a with james cameron afterwards um, I remember him telling the story like somehow True Lies came up I remember him telling the story that it was like Arnold came to him saying like there's this French film I want to make uh, my own version of it James Cameron was like how many times is Arnold Schwarzenegger going to want to remake a French yeah. film like I, <laughs> like I have to do it at this point <laughs> yeah what's the point of making T2 if you can't get away with that yeah yeah um, yeah, James Cameron. You, I mean, like uh, in a Q and A setting, uh, was a very fun listen. You wouldn't, uh, you would never know that he's a uh, apparently a tyrant. I guess, but like, you got to figure he um, has only gotten as far as he has by you know being good in rooms and able to convince people right. to give him like the most money anyone's ever spent on a movie. <laughs> and yeah. he's always yeah. been a good interview. You know, the people have been yeah. sharing tons of snippets of him from that avatar two press tour. And it's like just banger oh. after banger. Well, the thing about like 
why didn't you know why did you shoot in actual water instead yeah. of like i don't know because it looks good yeah. i mean he's not wrong it yeah. looks like way better than uh black panther 2 right that's right yeah it does um all right well, what else um, oh so oh, is um i when i was mentioning leonard from uh from Leonard 51st Dates. No, Leonard from Memento and Drew Barrymore 51st Dates. I forgot to mention Dory from Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. That's kind of the similar yeah. thing, right? It's not really amnesia, but it's like an ongoing memory loss thing. Yeah, and that's really strange that you went back to those two movies because I was going to reference that as well in terms of getting to uh, Nicole Kidman, Colin Firth thriller Before I Go to Sleep, which like nobody has seen, and rightfully so. It's, it's fine. Um, okay. But the premise is that... Um, when she wakes up every day, she doesn't remember um, her life. I mean, it's basically like the fifth first dates thing, but like serious. Um, and so Colin Firth is coming in and like telling her about her life every day, but like, can he be trusted kind of thing? It's mm. a little bit more dastardly. Um, so it has a really good premise and it's got some good moments in it. If I recall correctly, I only saw it the one time in theaters. Um, but uh, of course, Nicole Kidman's always great. That is maybe p- quite possibly the only film I've been to where I've been the only one in theater <laughs> and it was the theater was so predictably empty that they literally had half the theater roped off with like yellow tape just to make sure they didn't have to clean it um, yeah oh that's awesome yeah <laughs> um uh here's uh, this is another one that is not technically amnesia because it is self-induced okay but i know you're a big ben affleck guy have you seen paycheck no, I uh, I saw that come up on a lot of lists, and I, I do want to see it at some point, but I have not seen it. Um, I remember not loving it, but now I think maybe uh, like I'm mature enough to not take things too seriously, and I might just be able to find it fun. Yeah, you know where? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I couldn't get over how corny it was, but the idea is that he's like a for hire, like corporate espionage guy. And then whenever he's done it, he's done a job to protect himself and whoever hired him, he agrees to have his memory wiped, you know, of that mm. period. Like it's, it's like internal, eternal sunshine where they can go in and like, you know, only remove a certain part of his memory, but then he leaves himself clues because I guess he does something that he thinks is like above or, or beyond, you know, over the line. Someone asked him to do something that's over the line. So sure. he leaves himself clues for the next time his memory is wiped to go back and like write this wrong that he did. Interesting. Um, uh, but the, the part that I always point to is like hilariously stupid that everyone does. I don't know if you remember the, or if you've heard of this because we haven't seen the movie. He has this like envelope of the clues that he's left himself and he's in his hotel room and he's laying all the clues out on the bed and then it cuts to the wide shot and he's laid them out in the shape of a question mark <laughs> i love it i like i love movie shit like that i don't know people always rag on it but like uh the, the batman the batman movie from last year has tons of that stuff yeah and yeah like i don't know what are we doing here why why not do it in a movie like that <laughs> um well you mentioned eternal sunshine of course that's another big kind of landmark memory loss movie that yeah. does a lot of great visual things with like piecing together bits of disappearing memories and uh, lingering doubts and stuff like that. Um, that's another one that I need to see again, because I ha- probably haven't watched that since college at least, but um, certainly deserves mention. And I always forget it's a Kirsten Dunst movie. And I'm such a Kirsten Dunst fan, but she has such a small role oh, yeah. in it that I always forget that. 
Yeah, but she doesn't she like isn't there I'm, I'm trying it's been so long. Like Jim Carrey's like unconscious on a bed and then Kirsten Dunst and Mark Ruffalo are like jumping on the bed. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fun. fun. That's a cute that's a cute moment. Uh the behind the scenes story of that is that while they're filming that, um Michelle Gondry suddenly shout, shouted, Take your top off, and Kirsten Dunst said, Only for Almodovar. Because <laughs> <laughs> she has great taste. Yeah, good for her. I thought you were gonna say she has great tits. Well, um, you know. <laughs> not not saying no. Um okay, what else is uh we, we, I guess uh, we were talking about noir. I'm not sure if you would consider spellbound a noir, but it's also like not my it's maybe my least favorite Hitchcock that I've seen. It's up there for me, or down there as it were. Um because I'm, it's, I'm glad it's I saw it a little okay. about it all. Yeah. But I saw it at TCM Fest on a nitrate. Print. Yeah. Um had to be I I how do you feel? This is off topic. Great. I think I've said before, I'm not nuts about watching a movie from the balcony. I had no, to like the, no it was, I had to watch Spellbound on the balcony because it was, it was just too, too full. But yeah, I don't like watching a movie from a balcony. Whereas friend of the show and, and friend of you, and I guess friend of me, uh, Kristen sales, um, said she, uh, she loves a balcony. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, to me, it's part and parcel with people who like to sit in the back of the theater or who pr- generally prefer stadium seating. You know, me, I'm, I'm there to revere. I want to be, I want us all to be looking up. We need to be looking to the sky practically to see the movie. Yeah. Um, if you want to sit in the back of the theater, just stay home and watch TV. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I guess I kind of agree. Uh, all right. I'm just going to go through some other ones uh southland tales uh a big part of that is that uh the rock like something happened to him and he's a, a soldier or something happened right. to him in iraq and he doesn't uh he doesn't know what it was right yeah man i don't remember that movie at all i remember like the musical number in the middle and uh-huh. i remember the parts that were in the trailer and that's about it um well yeah i i watched it um it was a pandemic watch for me, so uh, oh okay. I, I'd never seen it before. Uh, yeah, I saw when it, it came out, and I was like yeah. so excited to like make it like my little cause champion thing because it was yeah. so universally panned, and I was like, I, I agree. I, I don't really care for this. Um, I should have said this. This is a neo noir, but um, a great little movie that may, might be uh, a movie that doesn't exist, but should, because it's actually a super cool little gem. Did you ever see the lookout with uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt? No, I remember this movie kind of only in so far as it exists. Uh, it's a memory loss movie. So yeah, he, in the, the beginning of the movie, he's like a hotshot high school student. And after the big game or whatever, he's like a jock or whatever. Yeah. He's out with like his friends and they're drinking and driving and he is driving and gets into an accident and like, I think kills one of his friends and also has serious brain damage himself. So then it cuts to like a few years later and because of his like brain damage and memory loss, he like can't hold down a, uh, uh, you know, a, a job. He can't play sports anymore. He's just mm. working as a janitor at a bank and then a sort of local, uh, group of, uh, uh, I don't know. Go- no good Nicks. Um, led <laughs> wait, by, wait, yeah. How did that, those words just come about in your head? I don't know. Uh, led by Matthew Good, um, uh, doing an American accent, which is, which is pretty good. Um, sort of befriend him, but really they're trying to use him and his memory loss as a way to rob the bank where he mops the floors 
at night and he's sort of like is kind of getting wise to what they're doing but also can't trust himself because of sure. the uh very cool movie um okay jeff daniels is uh his uh friend um we actually talked about it oh god it must have been what was it it was like last summer you and julie and i did um uh, an episode on movies that take place in our home state um yes and and this is a kansas city movie Although um, i think it was filmed in canada i am also noticing did you notice uh joseph gordon levitt's character's name in this <laughs> chris pratt <laughs> yeah that's very what are, funny what are the odds yeah that's very funny yeah. and spelled exactly the same yeah <laughs> now i just want to watch um, the movie just to hear people like yell at chris pratt or whatever yeah but it's a it's a good movie. it's um directed by scott frank who's like wrote like uh soderbergh movies like out of sight in yeah um, building yeah uh, uh how else has he written um wrote the script well, he, for logan that's pretty solid he most uh, recently i think he did the queen's Ga- queen's Ga- gambit right a big, yes big tv hit which was i think when it worked it worked and when it didn't it didn't yeah of course but uh kudos to him nevertheless i forgot too he wrote minority report which as uh, we've talked about a few times in the past couple months i'd love right. oh the only other movie he directed was a walk on to a walk among the tombstones which is another like underrated little gem of a movie um, oh, i haven't seen it yeah it gets kind of like um it gets kind of tossed in with the like Liam Neeson revenge thrillers, right? Uh, which it technically kind of is, but it's like a much like sadder noir type of thing. Um, very, very much based on regret. Liam Neeson is like a former cop who uh, was also an alcoholic and retired because he accidentally uh, like shot and killed an innocent kid. I think when he was like drunk mm. on the job, and so now he's working as like a sober private detective and gets roped back into some stuff. It's not, not a bad movie at all. Yeah. It sounds good. I always, yeah. Like those movies that, um, clearly they were able to get greenlit because it vaguely resembles more commercial movies. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. That could almost be an episode of that require a lot of research. Um, yeah, but that's true. Let's see. Here. Oh, okay. The, um, the fantastic, uh, very sound film movie the adams family from 1991 the whole thing about uncle fester is that he like has amnesia he's been taken under the wing of someone else and they're like go in there you're uncle fester you're gonna go in there and say you've got your memory back but really you're gonna be our spy on the inside but of course over the course of the movie he actually does get his memory back and rejoins the adams family that was another pandemic rewatch for me and that movie rules and then i had never seen the sequel Adam Stanley Values, which I watched, and I'm sorry, everyone my age. <laughs> Adam Stanley Values sucks and is <laughs> in no way better. It, this movie comes up on lists sometimes of movies that are like sequels that are, that are better than the original. No fucking way. <laughs> no way. I, uh, I've seen neither movie. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, no, the Barry Sonnenfeld movie is super cool. Okay. And, and, like, the sequel? Um, he might have directed it, but uh, he did. Yeah, but it's different writers, oh, and sure. it's so clear that like because I think the 
the the writers of the first one come from like the Tim Burton world. They had like they did like Beetlejuice and stuff like that. And then like the writers of the second one are just like and not that they're bad, they're just like studio like for higher comedy people. Bunch um, of hacks. And, and they just didn't they didn't tap into the macabre. Uh, I mean, the Addison the Value starts off great because it starts off with this whole kind of uh, screwball Rube Goldberg sequence of Wednesday and Pugsley trying time and time again to murder their infant brother. <laughs> like, that's a good start. That's, yeah, that's hilarious. It starts off so well, and then it just becomes like lame, like bad improv comedy. Yeah, you know, seeing it was a solo writer, it wasn't a collection of writers. Um, but looks like his big claim to fame was Sister Act and Sister Act 2, which I also have not seen. I saw um, the first one. I never saw Sister Act 2. But he also wrote Paul, or Paul, Frank Oz's Inside Out, or In and Out, which is uh, oh, In-N-Out, yeah. widely derided, um, and the Stepford Wives re- remake, which is not, uh, not well loved. Um, all right. I'm trying to think if there's anything else on my list. I never saw Blank Slate, which is... Blank uh... Slate... Um, or no, Clean Slate is what it's called. Clean Slate. I think that's a it's a Dana uh, Dana Carvey comedy. Oh yeah, it. I've not seen this either. Yeah, but I remember I definitely remember seeing the uh, like TV spots as a kid. Um, there's a really recent movie called um, Apples, which actually there's a also a movie um, called Little Fish that like came out like less than two years apart and have very similar premises, which is that like, but weirdly little fish was made pre pandemic and apples was made like post COVID, um, which is interesting. Cause like they're very much pandemic movies. And the premise of both movies is that there's a mysterious disease going around that's causing people to lose their memories. Mm. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, Little Fish is like really great and lovely. I've seen it. I watched it a couple times actually, and and very sad about a couple who very much love each other. And we sort of like it's sort of non chronological. We like get to see their like courtship at the same time as we're seeing one of them suffering from this disease and losing all the memories mm. at the same time. So it has this like rising and falling action at the same time. Um, whereas Apples is like I wish it were better because it's such a great premise. Apples is. And I'm trying to remember what country Apples is from. It's Greek, maybe? Okay. Because I think because I think the guy, uh, yeah, it's Greek. Because um, the guy who directed it was like first assistant director for Lanthimos at some point. Mm. Um, but the premise of Apples is again, there's this um uh this guy, there's this disease going on that causes people to lose their memory, and this guy gets it. This guy who's like a very like middle-aged, sad, like lonely guy gets it um and uh and then gets into this like program where they're trying to like it's this because this disease is going on they've started these like experimental treatments like we're gonna put you around other people and put you in these situations and like his memories do start to come back but then he realizes he was so lonely before and now he's like around people and doing things oh, all the sure. time that he continues to pretend as if he doesn't have his <laughs> memories back. It's a great premise. I just, the movie just like, doesn't like ever seem to want to like take off. Yeah. Um, uh, but then speaking of like foreign, like kind of art house stuff, I had completely forgotten about um, 
the I think it's a Georgian movie called What Do We See When We Look at the Sky, which I oh, yeah. watched a couple of years ago and you I think you found I was uh, not in, was in too. But that's the one where some sort of like spell get like two people have this great meet cute. Yeah. And then a spell gets put put on them where they forget who they are and also they change their appearance, right? Yeah. So there's no way I mean, for them the, to clarify the uh yeah, the spell changes their appearance. Something yeah, about the yeah. way you're phrasing it makes it sound like they like went to right. You're right. plastic surgery or something like that. No, no, yeah. The, there's there's a, a spell put on them by like some sort of like nature sprite or nymph or something. Yeah. Um, in which they lose their memory and look different. And then so like, it's almost like the this magical force is trying to like test whether they're truly made for each other and will they will they find each other again? Um I love that movie. I know, yeah, you were you were a real sourpuss about it. Real I, you know, it, it's a very, it gets into a very specific groove. And if you're into that groove, like, I, well, I guess that's only kind of true because I really did like the first half hour or so. And then mm-hmm. it just kind of stayed in a rhythm that I couldn't couldn't get on board with. Um, but I think I've exhausted my, my list. All right. I'll run through the remaining ones of mine. Well, we, I, I referenced, but we didn't talk too much about Mulholland Drive, but Mulholland Drive. Yeah has the great thing where it's got the memory loss component and then it also kind of wraps around into like a denial of reality thing, which is kind of like also what Memento is by the end of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a really solid twist on the trope. Um, Vanilla Sky is like kind of in this bag where um, Tom Cruise doesn't really like, it's both really like he's, there's this elaborate set that we find out at the end where he's been denying the reality of his life to himself um and a function of that is memory loss um kind of in this topic but maybe arguably not the hangover movies there's memory loss involved at the very least yes that's true yeah <laughs> um yeah. in the first amnesia, two yeah. But, yeah yeah the second one doesn't have the memory lo- or the third one i mean doesn't have the memory loss thing but uh, the third one is just like a heist or something right yeah the third one is like clearly like todd phillips wanted to make a sort of like I don't know, Beverly Hills Cop style, like action comedy, yeah. um, but with his like sensibility, which mostly means like a lot of animals getting killed. Uh, um, and this is coming from someone who likes Hangover Part Three, but uh, yeah, the the second one, I mean, the big like the the big dig against the second one that I'm not unsympathetic to is that it is literally the same story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but I remember but, you uh, saying at the time, and you're right, that it's a lot more horrific an experience. It's yes. like yeah it's not as hardcore as like a gaspar noe movie but it's not far off from that either yeah, no it's like it's it's grimy it's bloody yeah head helms gets like spat splattered with pig blood at one point Something like that like, yeah a monkey gets shot like it's like <laughs> a lot of weird dark stuff um but then it also has like the funny jokes when they're like doing the paul giamatti's like the cia agent or something and they're okay. like doing the the money transfer at the very end on the rooftop bar in in in, in Bangkok, and and uh, Paul Giamatti needs um, Ken Jeong's uh, uh, password to do like the wire transfer, yeah. and he's like, uh, uh, "It's he's like it's baloney one," and then he goes, "It used to just be baloney, but now they make you add a number." And Paul Giamatti's <laughs> like, "So annoying." <laughs> That's solid. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Oh, another like spoiler alert memory loss one, but more popular they've seen Shutter Island by the end. Turns out that um, he's just been like completely shut off from reality. Um, I mean, the funny thing, I think I I can't remember if I said this on the podcast before, but you know what? It's been 
Yeah. It's been 16 years. I'm going to repeat myself. <laughs> um, watching Shutter Island, knowing the twist, it's like... So much better. It's better. And it's also, so, it seems in retrospect, so like howlingly obvious what's going on. Yeah. But that's like, that. that's part of the fun of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I the first time I saw it, I had not quite been told the twist, but somebody had guessed the twist. And then like, as soon as the movie started, I was like, yeah, that's probably the twist. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of had it in mind. And so that's part of the reason I always figured I liked it more than most people is because I went in kind of like, I think the best yeah. way to see it is to know yeah. it's going to go down. Yeah. Um, more straightforwardly on the amnesia track, uh, the first two X-Men movies, uh, Wolverine has like forgotten who he oh, I mean, like course. kind of knows who he was, but he doesn't remember like the details of the assassin program that he was involved in kind of gets slowly unraveled over the course of two movies. Um, I have to look up the details of this because I love this movie and, but the plot is so complicated that I cannot remember exactly where the memory loss or amnesia fits in, but uh, Danny Boyle's trance. Um, okay. Yeah, I never saw that one. A freaking ball and a half. Um, yeah. Let's see. Do a quick search for memory. Nope. Not going to tell me. Um, anyway, highly recommend Bill's trance. The gas. Um, Last year, Marion bad is kind of a memory loss movie um and kind of a traumatic response movie about memory loss um it's one of those movies that is famously hard to decipher but i always found fairly straightforward as far as that sort of thing goes about like what it's about and what uh everyone's trying to not remember um but uh because of that kind of fractured style the alain renee kind of mold um it's a really good portrait of just an uncertain psychic state um oh great 30s here this is as close to i had like a 30s screwball comedy you're mentioning those at the top of the show but hallelujah i'm a bum um is now jolson musical that's really awesome and he plays a bum um who starts dating the i think it's the mayor's daughter or the governor's daughter because she like you know gets washed up in the river or whatever with no memory and so she doesn't know that she's Governor's daughter, whatever political mm-hmm. figure, and shouldn't just be hanging out with bums. But by the time she starts to recover her memory and gets like found out and stuff like that, um, she's torn between two worlds, as it were. Um, um, I got mildly distracted here. Okay. Because you mentioned Danny Boyle, and I was trying to like look at what Danny Boyle movies I hadn't seen, which is like more than I realized because I forgot about yesterday and yeah, Train Spotting 2. But then I also got distracted seeing that he, you can, I guess there was a, video but he directed a live like a stage production of frankenstein yeah i remember which but i'm looking at the cast so johnny lee miller and benedict cumberbatch are both credited as both victor frankenstein and frankenstein's monster they swapped parts like uh, on different nights you mean yeah yeah so okay so that's that's very cool yeah all right. Sorry, I got distracted there. No, no worries. Uh, that's a cool thing to recall that none of us will ever get to see. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I wasn't sure whether to include like um, dementia movies in this or like memory yeah. and losses relative old age. But yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Stuff like The Father Away from Her came up in some of the searches still, Alice. Um, and also, what was the one you and I both liked? Um, what They Had? Is that what Yeah, it was What They Had is a great yeah. Yeah, what they had. Um, I, I think I talked about this in my review of the father. That what they had and the father are like two different perspectives. Because what they had is very much a movie about a family losing their mother to dementia, 
Whereas the father is very much from the point of view of the person losing his connection to the world. You know what I mean? It's yeah. The father's from the point of, the view, point of the view of the person who has the dementia and what they had is from the point of view of the rest of the family. Yeah. Uh, both are stellar movies, but I think because of, yeah. I just am more into the style of the father um, mm-hmm. kind of has the edge for me. Um, plus I think I really like what they had, but I, I do think it kind of falls apart towards the end where like they like, because the whole thing was pre-contained i remember for the first like two-thirds and then the last like 20 minutes half hour departs from that zone i can't remember the details now but i just remember it not quite working towards the end um three women uh the robert altman movie has a great uh shift towards memory loss um after uh what's his face sissy spacek like wakes up from a coma and essentially like becomes an entirely different person um really i mean of course like we all love three women um the swimmer the uh Burt lancaster movie it. oh yeah. man you would dig it the most i'm not gonna say any yeah. more about it then but it does okay. involve uh, some memory loss and that's it that's all i got all right well um we did it this is great uh let's hope we remember all this uh <laughs> um, i know it's funny how many times during the course of the episode we were like trying to recall plot details from the movie yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can find, I think you can find reviews of what they had in the father, uh, yeah. as well as probably some other things that we talked about, um, at battleshipretention.com. You can email us, you can email me at day, David at battleshipretention.com. Follow me on Twitter at Davey pretension. Follow me on letterbox at David Bax. Uh, and Scott, where do you, where, where can people find you? Um, Twitter real of tomorrow and also at letterboxd. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks again for being here, Scott. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye.